Welcome back to the Connecting Minds podcast. Christian Yordanov is my name. Today, I'm going to talk to you about how to fix your gut problems. Uh, keep in mind, this is not um, medical advice. So always consult your healthcare practitioner before you know you do anything. I suppose this is just information I'm I'm putting out there, and. Uh, it's important that we spread more of this information because the conventional way to address gut problems is woefully inadequate, as you may be aware. I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm just going to talk about solutions. Uh, this is what this segment is all about. Before I get started, I want to remind you that I do offer health consultations. Link to my website is in the description. If you need help with some type of complex, long-standing complaint, health complaint that you have not had any success with um, improving or addressing, I, I can help you out with that. Let's have a chat. Also, I'm the author of a book on autism. It's called Autism Wellbeing Plan, How to Get Your Child Healthy. Link to, um, to the Amazon page of the book is in the description. If you are aware of a family with an autistic child, please uh, share the book with them, buy the book for them as a gift. There's plenty of, it's, it's, I believe it's one of the best resources out there. There's plenty of really, really useful information for the parents to really help their basically identify the hidden metabolic and physiological health challenges that this their child suffers from and how to address them basically that's the that's what the book is about um so please please help me share this vital information with um other people other families thank you so much so today's topic of discussion is how to fix your gut problems now what i'm going to briefly discuss is why we get gut problems so what the contributing factors are testing for gut pathogens which is not necessary to do but highly beneficial and i would of course recommend it if you can afford it if you have access to good labs and practitioners that can help you out. This is what one thing I do, especially if you're in the USA or U U UK, Europe, European Union. I work with some really good labs. We can, if you need help with uh, ordering tests for for this kind of stuff, uh, you can contact me. You know, again through my website. But uh, again, it's not ne not not ne necessarily necessary, right? So I also then talk about the most important part. Then is how to design a protocol for pathogen eradication and balancing your microbiota, your gut, basically. And then we're going to discuss briefly on how to support your gut, your microbiota, you know, the, uh, oh, and I'll get into the details later, but how to support your gut on an ongoing basis. And then we'll briefly touch on doing periodic cleanses because 
it's like your think about your car right that's a very simplified example but you know you have to not just fuel the car but periodically you need to change the oil or top it up oil filters need to get changed various other things on the car need to be done tires need to be rotated so the body in in some ways needs uh regular maintenance right so this is why i talk about go, doing gallbladder flushes or cleanses to get gallstones out of the the bladder doing these sort of i do them twice a year you can do it once or twice a year it's a uh, basically it's, it's a periodic cleanse to make sure if there is some sort of dysfunction in terms of pathogen overgrowth or or imbalance that you address it periodically and kind of reset yourself right so we'll talk about a bit about that okay now i have an article on my website called testing for gut pathogens 101 which which i wrote many jesus probably four years ago so there are some pictures there of of lab sort of lab work where you can kind of see various different organisms and how uh, just you have some more visual right in terms of what i talk about here right but uh you can yeah i I would recommend if you like to read articles and stuff it's it's a decent sort of introduction to testing for gut pathogens is all about right so let's start i guess at the beginning why why does the why do people have gut problems right you know is if you went to like a conventional doctor they might be befuddled you know they might do blood work they 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 generally at least from people i've spoken to including clients of mine that have had problems for 10 plus years in some cases with their gut they've not been able to uh <laughs> get any help right and for example if you look at ibs irritable bowel syndrome anytime there's like a syndrome attached to the label of 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 the let's say uh, disease. I don't want to. I hate using that word, but let's say the 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 issue. Let's call it the issue. And then the syndrome, it's it's almost like code word for we haven't a frigging clue. You know what I mean? So anyway, there's if you like your your general state of health, the normal state of health should be healthy, right? Balanced. Everything should be in order. But when certain issues start occurring, for example, let's say your diet is inadequate in certain uh, vitamins, minerals, or amino acids, let's say you have an onslaught of heavy metals and chemical toxins, or you get a gut infection that you you might not be aware that you've had, or uh, you take some medications, for example, antibiotics is a is a classical example that disrupt your normal gut bacteria your microbiota you know the lactobacillus the bifidobacterium those are there we have like trillions of these various bacteria that make a community in our gut and certain things even just various kind of drugs 
right? Even uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, these can cause various types of insults to the gut. And then you can factor in other things. Let's say now you've had this uh, sort of initial perhaps disturbance, let's say from antibiotics or from a gut infection. Let's say you were out camping, you had some water that had maybe giardia. Now this can cause a cascade of other problems. So there will be inflammation. There will be immune system activation. Uh, over time, you can have an increase in intestinal permeability or leaky gut, as it's also known, that can cause further immune system sort of activation, dysregulation, that, that can lead to food sensitivities, and so on and so forth. Uh, at that point, we have issues like oxidative stress, uh, chronic inflammation, that, that this can cause an increase in the need to to detoxify, basically, basically your detoxification systems have to work in over time to deal with all this extra inflammation, immune activation, and so on. That requires nutrients that can get depleted and that further can exacerbate the issues. So the the one seemingly one thing, if if not addressed or or if you can't bounce back sufficiently quickly can lead to this cascade. And this cascade doesn't have to happen very quickly. It can happen in some cases, uh, it can take decades or, or years or, or months, right. weeks. Doesn't necessarily happen very quickly. And over time, these gut problems, they, or, or these issues that start in the gut, they, they can lead to things like autoimmunity, you know, brain fog, fatigue, uh, joint pain, uh, sleep problems, skin issues. And it can go further and further. So never mind just the regular symptoms associated with gut dysfunction like gas, bloating, maybe diarrhea or maybe constipation or ir irregularity with defecating, stuff like that. So these, uh, as... Uh, was it Hippocrates that said all disease begins in the gut, you know, or death begins in the colon. There's just quite a few, quite a few ways you can, uh, I suppose, put it. But it, it, when you look at it, not maybe not all, but most health problems will, will either originate or at least be exacerbated when there is dysfunction in the gut, right? So that's how that's how um that's how it can get bad if 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 you know if you don't address the gut early on when there's some type of toxic insult and this cascade is left to develop on its own things can get really bad really bad like we're talking all like I I I did um a, a a couple of episodes ago, I published how, uh, an episode on how autoimmunity develops. And that's where I really highlight how if you have a compromised gut lining and you have uh, quite a high burden of toxic heavy metals, chemicals from diet uh, or other exposures, <clears throat> that can really, 
over time develop into immunity. And I encourage you to check that out to, I suppose, ratify or, or back up why we must really take care of our gut, gut health. Now, a big piece of the puzzle here with gut problems, <clears throat> excuse me, with gut problems is pathogenic organisms. So I'll give a, a few bullet points on how pathogenic uh, organisms can basically disrupt your health. So a big one is that when you have, let's say, a straight up infection, like a, some type of pathogen infects you, or due to an insult to your gut, let's say antibiotics, a normally an organism that is normal a, a normal part of your gut microbiota is allowed to overgrow because other let's say your lactobacillus your your beneficial bacteria numbers have been knocked down let's say to antibiotic or some other insult normally normal uh, what are known as commensals are allowed to overgrow and at that point they start causing problems so, so for example Candida albicans, the yeast. It's a part of a no, quite a number of, of Candida and other yeasts are a part of the regular microbiota that we have. But it's when they are allowed to overgrow is when uh, they can start causing problems. Right? They, you ne you could never fully get rid of Candida, for example. So the problem when these guys are either infect or are allowed to overgrow these pathogens is they keep the body in a state of chronic stress so this contributes to other dysfunction and this is uh, these are bullet points from the article that i mentioned that's on my website there will be a link to that so if you if you're in a state of chronic stress that is obviously bad that this is where people when when it kind of when they hear this they're like oh so that's why i'm not sleeping well yeah it's because if you, let's say, have parasites, they're quite active at night. And like at, if you wake up at night at like three in the morning or so, that is actually, for me, the first thing I would, I would be like, yeah, okay, you need to either run a stool test, do some type of parasite check to check for parasites and do a, a cleanse. You know, or at least do the cleanse. It's it, it's not expensive. It doesn't generally cost you much in terms of effort or, or time or money. And it's not really, for the most part, it's not really even uncomfortable in, in any way, shape, or form. So it doesn't really hurt to do it, right? So, they, so these pathogens, they keep you in a state of chronic stress. It means that there's more inflammation. There's more oxidative stress so uh, that depletes your antioxidants it causes damage to your gut lining other tissues right and this over time again it, it can pr promote autoimmunity uh, other ways pathogens can harm us is they contribute to liver congestion and dysfunction they produce a variety of harmful products so metabolites basically exudates so candida for example candida albicans can it takes sugar 
and it creates alcohol. And uh, that's it's a harmful molecule. And it also creates as a uh, a by on the way as part of its metabolism, it also creates acetaldehyde, which is a molecule that gets broken down when alcohol is detoxified. And that is actually one of the, the, the compounds that contributes to the hangover, the hangover sort of feeling, right? So candida, they do that. Like some, some candida species create these compounds. Don't forget yeasts are used to make alcohol. So if they're in your, if they're, they're in your gut and they're, you know, you've had an insult to the gut, antibiotics, let's say, and they are allowed to overgrow and let's say you have a high sugar diet, now they have the substrate needed to make the alcohol, right? So this this is a real thing. It's fascinating. So also when you have an overgrowth of pathogens, they can, all these harmful byproducts they make, they can get through through your gut lining into your blood, activate the immune system. They can also hurt other beneficial bacteria. Over time, you know, all of these things, they can cause malnutrition or nutrient deficiencies. They can keep activating and over time weaken the immune system and they can increase food sensitivities. And in general, pathogens create an environment conducive to proliferation of secondary overgrowths biofilms and further infestation so it just creates a a nasty overall environment where more and other pathogenic organisms thrive so uh, think about it like if you have a grassland you know there's a general sort of it's just grass it's beautiful but if you throw like a, if an animal dies you know that area there will be all sorts of like maggots and flies that start they they flock to that area because that environment uh, attracts them right so it's 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 kind of like a i guess on the spot poor not the best analogy but that's what when you have like a a disrupted gut it just kind of creates that sort of environment for these other pathogenic organisms to like just congregate create biofilms where they can hide and so on and so forth right so that's a little bit about how pathogens harm you uh, just a quick term i want to define here so i i might use it in in later in the episode but we have this term called dysbiosis dysbiosis is a term for when there is a disruption or imbalance in your microbiota, right? So in the community of microbes in your gut. When you have a state of dysbiosis, it generally means that the good microbes have decreased and the bad ones have increased in numbers. So what, I guess I already covered this a little bit, but I'm just kind of going through this article here as I go. So dysbiosis can be caused by a combination of factors so as i mentioned already pathogenic organisms so parasites bacteria yeast slash fungal infections so medica- medications antibiotics antacids anti-inflammatories so poor diet uh things like uh, processed foods that have let's say emulsifiers they can for example emulsifiers can contribute to 
leaky gut or intestinal permeability. If you have some type of digestive dysfunction or immune dysfunction, it can uh, contribute to dysbiosis, toxin exposure, so chemicals, pesticides, heavy metals. And then if you have food sensitivities or leaky gut or intestinal permeability. So these are your sort of causal factors. So these are what you want to address in order to fix your gut. So pathogenic organisms will discuss medications. Obviously, you need to, antibiotics have to be used very judiciously, right? You can't just for every cold or whatever, just use an antibiotics willy-nilly. Antacids, they reduce acid, and that acid is, is, is a protective mechanism. It kills it kills pathogens in the stomach, right? So you take antiacids, you know, you're <laughs> you're reducing your defensive mechanism there already. That's be, you know what I mean? That's just straight from the mouth into the stomach. You, you're not even in the small intestine, and you know you've already you you've already reduced defenses, and you have a lot of vectors of defense, but. That's a big one right there. So poor diet. I'm going to, I would lump in poor diet with toxin exposure because poor diet, if your diet is poor, it's like the high in toxins like chemicals, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, heavy metals. If your diet is uh, more uh, sim simple, organically grown fruits and vegetables, pasture raised, uh, or wild caught animal products and as minimal minimum minimum possible processed foods things out of packages then you're on the right track this this should really be it should go without saying but common knowledge is not common practice so your diet to fix your gut your diet has to be pretty pristine at least for for the time during while you know while you were actively you know doing the protocols that could be six six months eight months a year where you have to you really just have to have re reduce all stresses and like a, a poor diet is a massive stressor on the body right So three types of dysbiosis. So you have your insufficiency dysbiosis. So when the numbers of your beneficial bacteria have been reduced, and of course, these beneficial bacteria, they help to digest food, create vitamins and other compounds that are beneficial, keep pathogens in check. So it's super important to keep to keep these beneficial bacteria's numbers, uh, you know, high and in good health. Then you have this inflammatory dysbiosis. So quite, we, we've kind of discussed quite a bit what that can do to the body. So what the effects it can have. So this is where you have a proliferation of pathogens. So I mentioned Giardia, Clostridium difficile is another uh, famous or infamous bacteria. And then you have your opportunistic organisms that can come into play, like Citrobacter, Klebsiella, Morganella, Candida, as I mentioned. And again, these, <clears throat> these produce toxic byproducts that are inflammatory in nature. 
And then you have digestive dysfunction dysbiosis. So your digestive function is not optimal. So you may see this when, where folks have low stomach acid, digestive enzyme insufficiencies, poor absorption, and altered intestinal motility, which could could be, again, due to poor diet. It could be toxin exposure. It could be medications, again, pathogens. So, so those are the three type of dysbiosis that we can kind of delineate. Now, uh, I want to discuss, so there's a couple of my go-to, two of my favorite go-to lab tests to run are the organic acid, organic acids test which is a urine test you collect it at home freeze it the courier picks it up and you know it goes to the lab in the usa and you get a bunch of uh, over 150 markers for various things including candida some mode uh, uh, uh exposure indicators Clostridia bacteria, C. C. difficile, Clostridium difficile, uh, and a ton of other stuff, oxalates, vitamin uh, and nutrient markers, um, antioxidant capacity, some neurotransmitters, just like super amazing tests, mitochondrial function. So that test, running that test, tells you a, a ton of awesome stuff, including some intestinal dysbiosis-related things, like I said, candida, some yeast, C. difficile, and a couple of other uh, clostridia species, and a general dysbiosis. So that running that test, it would give you a ton of really good information for other areas of the metabolism that you can improve with your practitioner. But it also, importantly, can tell you if there's some type of dysbiosis and so on so uh, if there's candida <clears throat> you know you immediately want to get the sugar reduced in your diet and eliminate it ideally and if there's c difficile there's a ton of there's a ton of sort of ways to to go about uh, addressing that so that's one and then the other one is the gi map which is uh the lab is called diagnostic solutions laboratory and the GI map stands for gastrointestinal microbial assay plus. So it, this <clears throat> this test uses DNA analysis technology. So it's called quantitative PCR, and it has a very very high accuracy and specificity. And basically, this reduces errors and false negatives. So like a false negative is when you test negative for a specific pathogen but you actually have it which is kind of not good obviously because you've missed it the lab the test has missed it so the the issue though with this kind of test it has it's a little bit how do i say there is a higher I suppose false positive rate with the test as well, so it might it might detect stuff that's not necessarily causing you issues, right? So you have to like really. It's good to use a uh, you know obviously the help of a practitioner to interpret test results, correlate them with with issues you're having, and then they can make a decision 
right based on the test but more more importantly on your health history and car current presentation so the the gi map it's it's more for again obviously it's a gastrointestinal micro microbial assay this is the one i would do right there's other types of tests there's like these culture tests where you collect three poop samples over like the, the the course of a week or several days you freeze them and you send them together and then they some of them are they have an automated aspect so they they test for some path some organisms with like a you know through an automated methodology and then as well as that they have like a lab technician who goes through the the sample and looks at it under a microscope and there's there's limitations of course to to this type of test and you know it they're much a little bit quite a bit more cumbersome to have to select collect three stool samples as opposed to one like with the gi map and you just uh with the gi map you just you know scoop poop on you you slip this sort of sheet of paper on your toilet seat you kind of squat over the toilet seat and you you poop on it so it it stays suspended in the air sort of you open the little uh, sample collection bottle there's like a spoon there you just scoop a bit out from the poop close that sucker up you tear the paper that was kind of on your toilet seat so it falls into the toilet. You flush your toilet and you're done. <laughs> With the other ones, you know, you have to take uh, three samples and, you know, it's, uh, then you're freezing it. You have poop in your freezer and, God, it's just like it, it can get it can get pretty gross and nasty, right? So I, I really appreciate that with the GI map, you just take one sample and boom, it's done. You can You can ship it off. So the GI map, just to give you a, an overview of the pathogens it tests for. So you got your bacterials. So like I said, C. difficile toxins. Uh, you have your Salmonella, Campylobacter. You have your parasitic pathogens. So Cryptosporidium, Giardia, Entamoeba histolytica, some viral pathogens. It has protozoa. Uh, so Blastocystis hominis, which I've had. Cyclospora. Uh, the Entamoeba fragilis and Dolimax nana, Entamoeba coli, so all the the most popular ones, worms. So there's uh, s- several worms that it tests for. There are also parasites, Fun- fungi. So there's several fungi, including Candida species. And then it also tests for opportunistic bacteria. So you have your pathogens, like I said, you also have your uh, opportunistic bacteria. So these are, they're in the gut already in many cases or in the food, in the water that we we, um, we ingest. And they only become a problem when your the immune system is compromised, when we have some type of gut dysbiosis, right? So there's at least 10 or so that they test for. Uh, they, they also have, they test for opportunistic bacteria that have been associated with autoimmunity. Uh, things like Citrobacter, uh, Freundi, Klebsiella, Pneumoniae, Proteus mirabilis. So those 
three are associated are, are associated with rheumatoid arthritis. So you have your potential autoimmune triggering bacteria that they test for. And then they also test this, uh, the GI map also tests for your normal bacterial flora. So you have your bifidobacterium, your lactobacillus, your enterococcus bacteroides, uh, and, you know, a, a number of other species. And it's good to, it's actually good to get a snapshot of what your normal bacterial flora is, because I, I remember I, a, a few years ago, I did a, a test on one client and her, um, I think it was her bifido and her lactobacillus and one or two other ones were really low. And they were like, uh, we were like, she had a lot of food sensitivities, a lot of sort of issues. And yeah, it's when you have the person's presentation of the issues they're, they're reporting. Yeah. And then you see the lab test very often it's just like well there you go that makes sense you have you have uh the one two three potentially pathogen pathogenic or opportunistic uh bacteria and your normal bac uh, bacterial flora is greatly reduced well it makes sense that you're having these issues and we have to do something about it basically and finally the another thing that i like about the gi map test is it has intestinal health markers so these are like uh basically they they give you in the, they give your practitioner a little bit of a glimpse into how the gut is doing other than you know the organism so we're talking about digestion immune response inflammation so there's the elastase so Elastase 1 is a marker for pancreatic enzyme production. Steatocrit is a measure of fat absorption. So if, let's say, your steatocrit levels are high, it means that you may have malabsorption of your food, your fats, or it, it could also be an indicator there's some type of pancreatic insufficiency, right? Then you have your better glucuronidase. So if that's too high, it, it can actually indicate that you're having issues detoxifying some hormones and toxins. So this, this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about, right? So there's six, at least the last time I checked, there's six or seven of these intestinal health markers that are related to digestion, immune response, and inflammation. So overall, really, really awesome test. But uh, like I said at the, at the outset, you don't necessarily have to run a test. So tests, um, you know, if you're in the States, it's not too bad. Uh, it, the logistics are quite simple. Your practitioner orders the test. It, it, in, in many cases, it arrives the next day. Same with when you ca call the courier for pickup. <clears throat> Usually you can kind of schedule a day ahead. And it's really efficient in the States. I love it. With clients in Europe, it's a little bit more complex. It can be done. You know, we, we, we've, we've done it plenty. 
uh, I have some some uh, kits that I I ship di directly to my clients. The GI map that get the there's a there's a lab in the UK that ships out the test kits to clients in Europe. Then you have to ship it back to them when you collect it, and then from the UK they need to ship it to the lab in the USA. So uh, it's a little bit more complicated, but you know what? It, it, sometimes when you have some type of health issue and it's been like five years or 10 years or more, and it's really causing you pain, discomfort, suffering, you know what? We just we just deal with the, the logistical <laughs> issues because it's worth it, you know? Well, can you really put a, a price? Yeah, the uh, like in the USA, it might be delivery of the kit and pickup might be even be free. In many cases, it's free. Uh, for my U.S. clients, in with Europe, you might pay 50 or 70 euro to ship the sample, and the the test itself might have been, you know, 350 pounds or or euro or dollar, whatever. So it's a little bit of an investment, but it, what better investment than than your own health? I I can't think of anything. So, but. You have to factor in budgets and stuff like that now. So the point, the point I was coming at is you don't necessarily have to do the stool test in order to do a gut pathogen eradication protocol, right? You just if you if you just want to do the pathogen protocol, you can. You can do that, and basically, there's certain there's certain out there's certain criteria that if you meet those criteria, it probably it probably means you do have some type of pathogens or gut dysfunction, that, and that pathogens play a role in right so if you meet that criteria or part of it you should you should probably consider doing a gut pathogen eradication protocol right again not 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 medical advice i'm just telling you like this informa information remember that always consult i wouldn't i i would personally consult a functional medicine doctor or a naturopath or somebody, a practitioner that really understands these things, right? So make of that what you will, you know? So what are the criteria? Let me get to the criteria. If you have any type of gastrointestinal issues, so heartburn, uh, cramping, bloating after you eat, constipation, diarrhea, a lot of gas, and it's like a constant sort of thing if you had food poisoning in the past or if you had some type of you know you, you you traveled somewhere and then you had diarrhea for a week or a few days after after let's say you were in africa or india or out in the sticks camping and You've had, you know, you you had diarrhea for a while that seemed to resolve. I would consider doing a 
pathogen eradication protocol or a cleanse. So if you travel to foreign countries, if you have food sensitivities, for sure, if you have leaky gut or intestinal permeability, which, you know, it, it you can do a test for that. So if you've ever done a, a test like that and, and you know, or to the previous point, if you have food sensitivities, it's highly likely that you have intestinal permeability or leaky gut to an extent, a greater extent than, than you should. Uh, if so If you have any type of sort of hormone imbalances, so like if your nighttime cortisol is high, let's say you can't get to sleep or you've done a hormone test like a cortisol daily map, a 24-hour cortisol mapping test. So if you have any hormone imbalances, one of the culprits contributing to that can actually be dysbiosis, gut dysbiosis caused by uh, pathogen, pathogenic or opportunistic organisms. And other, other sort of criteria uh, include like if you've been swimming in, you know, questionable waters, if you work with animals like or you've touched animals that you suspect may have been harboring pathogens. So if you have any type of suspicion of your previous history that you may have been exposed or you have uh, evidence that you, you were, like let's say diarrhea after drinking some water or something like that in when camping or whatever. If you have food sensitivities, if you react to foods, if you know you've had food poisoning in the past, if you, any tests that you've done that indicate, uh, like I said, uh, hormone imbalances or uh, leaky gut or food sensitivities again, or most obviously, if you have got currently or in the, even in the past, in the recent past, if you had prolonged gastrointestinal symptoms. So obviously I, I mentioned diarrhea, but also bloating, gas, cramping, heartburn, constipation, right? So these are, if you meet some of these criteria, it means that it will more than likely be beneficial to do uh, some type of gut cleanse, let's call it, just so I'm not every time I'm saying pathogen eradication protocol. So doing a gut cleanse is a good idea if you've had gut problems in the past and so on. Okay, so the I would uh, characterize, so the gut pathogen protocol if if you go to your doctor, let, let let's say let's say you do a test and it's something really bad like Clostridium difficile, right? Or something like you have like a nasty parasitic infections. In some cases, uh, going for uh, pharmaceuticals might be your best bet. But if if you're not like e uh, writhing in pain and like having projectile vomiting and and some type of diarrhea like if it's not like an immediate emergency and you you in general kind of okay you know you might just have some fatigue or whatever it's it's likely that a herbal approach will be sufficient so we have three types of 
herbs, or sorry, three, I, I guess, three categories that we have to hit when designing a pathogen eradication protocol. And your practitioner will certainly help you with this. But when I'll, I'll just tell you how I go about designing uh, a, a pathogen eradication protocol or gut cleanse. Let's just call it gut cleanse because I'm getting tongue tied here. <laughs> so we want to hit three areas. So we want to have antiparasitic herbs, antibacterial herbs, and antifungals, okay? And when I say herbs, I mean like uh, uh, extracts or, you know, it, it, they're not all necessarily herbs, quote unquote. But these are, these are what you want to look out for. So for your antiparasitic, <clears throat> the top two are wormwood, artemisia, and black walnut. Okay. So <coughs> if you go to iherb.com, for example, Oh, I should mention, if, not right now, but in the future, I will have a, a website, a, a web page on my website with supplements I use or recommend for various different things. And if you're listening to this in the future, check out the description. There there will probably be a link to my website where uh, just examples of supplements I use, right? Because I, I do get a lot of questions. What do you use for this or zinc or, or for B vitamins or whatever else? So. Antiparasitic, you want to find a supplement <clears throat> that has wormwood and black walnut. Other th other beneficial for 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 other herbs with antiparasitic properties, I should say, include berberine, <coughs> golden seal, garlic extract. Also, you will find this allicin and oregano oil. And then, so these are your antiparasitics. So you want something that has wormwood and black walnut at least. Then you have your antibacterial. So these include things like we've mentioned already, berberine, garlic extract or allicin, uva ursi, olive leaf extract is a really good one, oregano oil again, and caprylic acid, which is actually... <clears throat> Excuse me. Caprylic acid is a it's a medium chain triglyceride extracted from coconut oil. Okay, so that's actually really good. It's a C eight. If you look for caprylic acid MCT oil or C C eight, um, it you put it in your food and it's it's got a lot of different benefits. And then you have your antifungals, right? So the best one is grapefruit seed extract. So you can get that in like little uh, pills or you can get it like a little liquid that you dis dissolve. Uh, not dis Yeah, it doesn't really dissolve well, but you mix that in water and you drink it. That's really good for anti, uh, so candida, stuff like that. Yeah, also garlic and garlic extract is good. Olive leaf extract helps. Uva ursi, caprylic acid, oregano oil, and paudiarco. So these are your three categories that you want to include uh, when building a protocol. And I'll just give you a quick example, right? What would I, what, like, actually, right now I'm about to.
I, I do it twice a year. So I might as well talk about the maintenance now, but just because we, I will finish up very quickly because we were at 48 minutes already. So after you do the the protocol, basically you do a similar or like a a shorter version of it as the seasons change for maintenance. So you can do it in the spring and in the autumn as the seasons change. You can do it only in the spring if you want. You can do it only in the autumn. Or you can do it once a year whenever you feel like it. The point is once you do the pr protocol, you want to periodically cleanse yourself again because there's a number of reasons. Uh, Candida can overgrow again because let's say you didn't you know you, you you still eat a lot of sugar let's say or you you could have gotten infected with something uh in the in the past year let's say after your protocol or you didn't do the parasite protocol for long enough so now the uh parasites uh you didn't dis disrupt the parasites life cycle sufficiently so they're they rehatched let's say and now they have started to grow again you know what i mean so i'll have to do more episodes on this topic please do stay tuned to the podcast in the future there's it's obvious as you can see there's a lot to cover on on the topic but um just to kind of close off i want to go back to the protocol so here's how i would go about um, designing a protocol right now it's coming up to that time of year where i will do my gallbladder flush now and kind of at the same time do the sort of gut cleanse let's just call it there's so many so many different ways to call it and parasite protocol whatever else so here's what i i will do for myself now there's a supplement i got from iherb.com ages ago i still have some some bottles of it it's an antiparasitic specifically so I, I i don't don't have the bottle here with me now but that particular supplement has wormwood artemisia and black walnut right i also have the company's called biobotanical research and they have a really good antibacterial supplement where the main ingredient is olive leaf extract which so we we've covered the antiparasitic aspect that supplement has a, a couple of other things as well i forgot the, the one that i just mentioned about that has wormwood and black walnut then for my antibacterial i have this biobotanicals research supplement that has olive leaf extract <clears throat> i believe it has berberine as well and i can't it has several ingredients i i'm sure it has more of these that i've mentioned and then also for my antifungal i have grapefruit seed extract that i got from iherb.com it's a liquid five to ten drops in in water two three times a day right so the antiparasitic take it in the morning before breakfast last thing at night same with the with the antibacterial and the antifungal so you can do it the way i would probably do it just to simplify things on an empty stomach take the antiparasitic in the morning with the antibacterial that has the olive leaf extract and the antifungal i will take in the morning 
empty stomach and then I will repeat the same thing in the evening before bed or before dinner, right? It's all about you have to stay adaptable, right, as you go. But uh, ideally on an empty stomach before dinner or an, uh, you know, a couple of hours after your last meal. And then the uh, grapefruit seed extract, I might take it a third time in the middle of the day at some point, right? It doesn't really matter too much as long as you as long as you do it right this is the most important thing now this is keep in mind this in my case is for a periodic cleanse so i'm going to do this for about a week to 10 days you can do it five to ten days one one final supplement that i also will be using is biocidin which is also from the company biobotanical research Right. My clients get a 25% discount on all of their supplements. Uh, by the way, just just putting that out there in case you you do you are interested in these supplements. They're really good. I'll be doing more episodes on them in the future for sure. So uh, I will be doing this <clears throat> for five to ten days, probably ten days, right? Because I have all the supplements here. But if this was a protocol that you you let's say you did a test and you know you have parasites you will definitely have to do it more than 10 days or if it was bacteria this very much depends on on the specific like what the pathogens in question are if it's a parasite if it's parasites right it will it will be something like there's various different kinds of ways to do it but it will be like two weeks on one week off the protocol two weeks on one week off or it could be one week on one week off <clears throat> or two weeks on two weeks off or three weeks on three weeks off so <clears throat> with protozoa parasites it has to be a much longer protocol because they have this life cycle right parasites they have sort of you know these stages larva and spore and not sport, sorry. I'm tired at this point. <laughs> so they have all these life cycle stages. So if if you're killing, if uh, the uh, the herbs are killing off the adults, but uh, all the all the ones that are in a different life cycle stage are not necessarily going to get eliminated, right? So you, this is why you you give them time to hatch quote-unquote and then you kill them off again right so this is why you have to like do the stop start uh also with parasites <clears throat> pro tip you definitely want to go hard around the full moon time because they're very active at that point what else what other stuff can i i just want to keep it on uh, to an hour or so but i want to ram in a little bit more okay so biocide and i already mentioned it certain Oh, uh, just to mention, we, we, you can do this a little bit more uh, on a budget by using things like garlic. Just eating a lot of raw garlic, right? That that, that on its own can do wonders. You can do a uh, parasite cleanse, or you can just do a this pathogen eradication protocol by eating, you know, a lot of garlic over the course of a week. 
and uh, a lot of sauerkraut and fermented foods that you can make yourself. So if you're on a budget, you can do this yourself like that. But sauerkraut reminds me, you also want to take a probiotic as part of this protocol and ideally as maintenance, or at least for a few months, just to get your get your microbiota uh, nudged in the right direction. But uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so what you want to do is you want to take the probiotic away from the pathogen herbs, right? So let's say in my case, what I'll probably do is we we take a spore-based probiotic that you can take with food. In fact, it should be taken with food. So I'll probably take my probiotic at lunchtime. But if I was taking a probiotic that you have to take on an empty stomach, what I would do is I would uh, take my uh, pathogen eradication stuff in the morning on an empty stomach. Then before dinner, I would take the second sort of go uh, of the um, those herbs. And then <coughs> after dinner, just before bed, I would then take the probiotic. So to give that time to, to, to do its magic on an empty stomach and no uh, sort of acids and other things coming through, right? <clears throat> so those are some things. What an, another another pro tip is when you start the protocol, you want to uh, also buy things like charcoal or zeolite or this company that I was talking about, Biobotanicals. They have a really good sort of it's like a zeolite and pectins and other stuff. It's like a really good binder. So you want to take a binder. So when you take the, you could do it again, many different ways. Your practitioner will guide you. Remember, this is information, but it, you cannot expect in in an hour for me to cover everything, you know, or even in like one article or two articles. It, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to cover and I will, I'm sure I will cover more of it in the future. <clears throat> but, um, so the, here's the ways you you the, the reason for the binders like char, activated charcoal or zeolite is when you start killing parasites, bacteria, and so on, and yeasts, <clears throat> they their cells they die. Their, their cells burst. Various exudates and toxic compounds get released, and these can do damage to your gut they can get into your bloodstream and, and activate your immune system so a lot of people do report they're called die-off effects or the medical term is Herzheimer reaction it's also known as a cleansing reaction where you you get various symptoms from headaches to sweats to uh, temp even high temperature all sorts of just like lethargy all sorts of things can happen so what you want to do is to reduce those die-off symptoms uh, or that die-off reaction, let's say 30 to 60 minutes after you take your morning dose of herbs or whatever, could be could be pills or powders or whatever, however you design your protocol, then 30, so you take your antiparasitics and everything else, 30 to 60 minutes later, you take the binder. So it basically you kill and then you go in with the cleanup crew right so you could do it that way or you could take it in the morning let's say half an hour before food then you eat your meal and then an hour after 
after that you could take like a zeolite supplement or two hours after your breakfast <coughs> you could take a uh, charcoal or if you take it take the the herbal pathogen stuff after dinner let's say two hours after dinner then half an hour to 60 minutes later you can take the the binder right so it's all about you have to figure out when is the best time of the day for you to to take the the pathogen stuff when is the best time to take the probiotic when is the the best time to take the binder you have to keep the binder try to keep it uh, or uh, put it in after obviously the the pathogen stuff you want to keep it away from other supplements and food ideally as much as possible within reason you want to keep the probiotic away from the binder the probiotic needs to be after the the pathogen stuff you know sufficiently after that it it doesn't get affected by that sufficiently after the binder and so th- these are the kind of things you need to uh, keep in mind I'll have to stop there because it's been an hour. One final thing I just didn't want to mention again is probiotic can be a, a, a supplement probiotic, like in a pill form that you buy. It's really good ones nowadays. They're really, I take one that, like I said, spore based. You can take it with food, and it. it I really, really like. I, I, I can definitely notice the difference in terms of regularity and um just the whole the whole stuff there if you get if you know what i mean like i could definitely notice positive effect from that but i just wanted to mention is and i'll do an episode in the future on fermented foods fermenting your own uh, sort of sauerkrauts and vegetables it's super easy super cheap you can get organic cabbage for like two three bucks and all you need some salt and and a little bit of time can make your own really awesome probiotics so this this is the kind of stuff that you would then use as a as a maintenance so eating uh, fermented foods a little bit every day ideally or a few times a week so this is you don't necessarily have to buy a probiotic you can make your own probiotics uh, for a fraction of the cost really so uh, kimchi as well is another good one kombucha uh, water kefir these are all really kind of good ways to add beneficials to your um, microbiota to to through your diet. So really awesome stuff to so think about all of that. Um, again, if you need help with this stuff, I do offer health consulting. I can help you with you know work out the stuff. What's the best thing to do for you and so on and so forth, and educate you, support you along the way if you need it. That is it for today. Thank you for tuning in to. Uh, Connecting Minds podcast, Christian Yordanov signing off.